Good afternoon and welcome to Farfetch Q3 2022 results conference call. My name is Olivia and I'll be your conference operator today. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there'll be a question and answer session. Thank you. I'd now like to turn the call over to Alice Ryder, VP of Investor Relations. Ms. Ryder, you may now begin your conference. Hello, and welcome to Farfetch's third quarter 2022 conference call. Joining me today to discuss our results are Jose Nevis, our founder, chairman, and chief executive officer, Elliot Jordan, our chief financial officer, and Stephanie Fair, our group president. Before we begin, we would like to remind you that our discussions today will include forward-looking statements. Actual results could differ materially from those indicated in the forward-looking statements, and forward-looking statements made today speak only to our expectations as of today. We undertake no obligation to publicly update or revise them. For a discussion of some of the important risk factors that could cause actual results to differ, please see the risk factors section of our Form 20F filed with the SEC on March 4, 2022. In addition, we will refer to certain financial measures not reported in accordance with IFRS on this call. You can find reconciliations of these non-IFRS financial measures to the IFRS financial measures in our earnings press release and the slide presentation, both of which are available on our website at farfetchinvestors.com. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Jose. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Since 2019, we've navigated unprecedented world events and captured market share, placing us on track to broadly double our business over a three-year period, both in terms of GMV and revenue. Along the way, we cemented our ambition of becoming the global platform for luxury, advancing transformational partnerships that we believe will deliver strong growth and profitability in years to come. Luxury is an incredible industry, which has demonstrated its resiliency over the decades and is expected to grow from circa $350 billion in 2022 to over $500 billion by 2030. Farfetch has built a platform for this industry in pursuit of a unique mission that sees us more governized than ever as we continue to navigate the challenging macro-environment. I'm pleased to report that in Q3, we delivered year-on-year revenue growth of 14% and GMV growth of 4% on a constant currency basis with improved order contribution margins. This is in spite of the significant impact from our stoppage of operations in Russia and continued impacts of COVID restrictions in China, which were two of our three largest marketplace markets in 2021. In this year of macro headwinds, our focus has been on furthering the rationalization of our cost base. In this vein, we've taken the opportunity to redesign the entire Farfetch organization in order to seize the sizable enterprise milestones ahead with a sharpened focus on efficiency and profitability. And while this is ongoing, I'm pleased with the initial results and the performance of our energized leadership team under this new framework. This reorganization is enabling us to fundamentally restructure our headcount allocation and cost base. And we are already seeing some initial benefits with SG&A costs declining quarter over quarter in Q3. 
the fact that this was achieved in parallel with our continued investments in our new FPS and NGG strategic initiatives also demonstrates the scalability of our platform. And we're doing all of this whilst remaining focused on our North Star as the incredible opportunity to build the global platform for luxury becomes more relevant and attractive than ever. Another area of focus in the current environment has been on further expanding margins through a greater emphasis on disciplined growth. As a result of this initiative, Q3 gross profit margin increased 160 basis points year-on-year to 45%, and digital platform order contribution margin expanded 580 basis points year-on-year to 32.4%, and we plan to extend this trading strategy through Q4. In the current global macro environment, we're seeing continued digital media cost inflation for luxury, especially in the U.S., as well as reports of higher inventories indicating we're going to be heading to a very promotional environment. We've made the strategic decision of prioritizing margin profitability over growth in this promotional market, which is reflected in our revised full-year 2022 guidance. Overall, our achievements in delivering disciplined underlying growth expansion of margins and reduction of the fixed cost base position Firefetch to emerge from this period as an even stronger business. As such, in 2023, we expect to return to solid growth while also delivering adjusted EBITDA profitability and positive free cash flow. And we will continue to focus on these top priorities while also supporting the strategic partnerships that we signed in 2022 for launch over the next two years. Neiman Marcus Group, Ferragamo, Reebok, and subject to regulatory approvals, Richemont and Wynette. We are tremendously excited about the future and are planning to share more details about our 2023 and long-term plans in our upcoming Capital Markets Day on December 1st. And now, I'd like to let Stephanie update you on our audience and the strategic value we are bringing to brands. Thank you, Jose, and hello, everyone. Today, I would like to take you through some recent developments across our two key areas of focus. First, our outlook on the luxury customer. Secondly, our brand partnerships and the opportunity to further elevate the strategic value we provide to them across our group. I'd like to begin by addressing the health of the luxury consumer. While global macro pressures of inflation and rising interest rates weaken overall consumer sentiment, in practice, luxury tends to be less impacted than the overall retail sector as we cater to an affluent consumer who is less reactive to these pressures. Our consumer continued to exhibit a strong interest in luxury in Q3, as evidenced by the year-on-year -year growth in active customers, driven by double-digit growth of existing customers, as well as high single-digit growth in new customers. Both new and existing customers also increased the number of items per basket, which is even more encouraging as this behavior over time has historically been correlated with higher repurchase rates. 
Overall, our customers are highly engaged and the demand generation leverage delivered during the quarter indicates that we have become more efficient in interacting with them. This is also a reflection of our investments in building our brand, which is particularly beneficial in times like these. Our private clients continue to outshine other customer cohorts and exemplify the resiliency of the industry. In line with last quarter, we maintained over 90% retention of our private clients, who delivered average order values of circa $1,100 on continued strong demand for high price point items, including a recent sale of a $930,000 emerald Bulgari ring. During the quarter, we expanded our services to facilitate similar types of transactions via Fashion Concierge, our proprietary and differentiated sourcing service, with the launch of Fashion Concierge on Demand, extending the service to all private clients via the app. Q3 also marked a re-emphasis on targeted in-person events with a focus on private clients. In September, we hosted an event at Paris Fashion Week, which saw hundreds of press, influencers, and guests visit our Farfetch house, which drove a social media reach of over 25 million, as well as incremental GMV directly linked to the event. Just last week, we co-hosted an event with Ferragamo as part of the overall partnership to introduce our private clients to the new Ferragamo offering at the London Bond Street store. And later this month, we will partner with Art Basel in Miami, engaging with our private clients who have a strong affinity to art, while leveraging the targeted marketing efforts we are making in specific U.S. regions where we see growth potential. On our industry partners, we continue to maintain strong relationships with brands and saw double-digit increases in supply from our top 20 non-NGD brands in Q3. Recently, José and I visited the CEOs of our top brands. Our conversations with them confirm that they're moving away from wholesale and believe in the power of multi-brand e-concessions, a model which we pioneered in luxury and are facilitating via our marketplace and our e-concessions as a service FPS offering. While luxury brands are focused on growing owned direct to consumer, they are also choosing partnerships and platforms that add value not only from a distribution standpoint, but also as a marketing partner. This is something which we have invested in over the past few years. As a result, we believe Farfetch is one of the destinations they are prioritizing. This is because Farfetch has the ability to provide value to brands through multiple services across our group by leaning into our USPs. First, as the innovation partner in the industry, marrying fashion and tech. As we develop new features, we make them available to brands or we specifically launch new capabilities as part of broader partnerships. This quarter, for example, we are rolling out a 3D viewer for handbags across our platform, which will benefit our top accessories brands and improve the customer experience. Second, our global reach, where Farfetch over-indexes in emerging markets such as Mexico, Brazil, and the Middle East, and offers access to regions where brands may not have as strong a D2C presence. This is particularly the case in China, where despite the overall macro environment, we believe it is a long-term luxury opportunity, and our investment in localization and technology means we are the leading Western luxury player in the strategic market. And third, our luxury audience. Though we've become known as the platform for Gen Z and millennials, as a marketplace, we can appeal to a variety of style aesthetics and demographics, and can therefore offer access to a broader range of the brand's collections, making us a more attractive partner for brands to work with, who can choose to highlight parts of their collection via curation and personalization. This is valuable from an ongoing commercial perspective around supply and a broad base to support the continued growth of our media solutions business. We were encouraged by our recent discussions with brands, where they confirmed that this aligns with how they would want to target our customers, 
as well as how they structure their distribution. We believe this further positions Farfetch as a partner who understands brands and their overall strategic goals from a commercial, audience, and technology standpoint, further cementing our role as one of their most strategic partners in the industry. And now I'll hand the call over to Elliot to discuss our financial results and outlook. Thank you, Stephanie, and hello to you all. I'm pleased to share with you our third quarter 2022 results. I wanted to start by addressing the impact of a stronger US dollar year-on-year, -year, which materially distorts our underlying results, which I am very pleased with, given the backdrop of a challenging economic environment. There are four numbers to focus on, all on a constant currency basis. First, our Q3 revenue grew 14% year-on-year. Our digital platform GMV grew 10%, excluding Russia. Our brand platform revenue grew 14% year-on-year. And our stores grew revenue 54% year-on-year. At the same time, our three business segments expanded gross margins year-on-year, year, and we started to crystallise the financial benefits of our actions to rationalise the cost base. These results indicate a business successfully adapting to the current environment whilst continuing to deliver underlying growth. Our reported numbers deviate from these underlying results due to the continued strength of the US dollar year-on-year, coupled with a financial impact of closing our operations in Russia earlier this year, as well as ongoing COVID restrictions across China. This means our reported GMV, revenue, and EBITDA profitability are lower than we previously expected. Whilst these factors will continue to challenge us in the next two to three quarters, I am confident we will return to profitable growth in 2023. With respect to Q3 2022 profitability, order contribution margin was up 580 basis points year-on-year -year to 32.4%, reflecting ongoing efforts to drive margin improvements, and our cost of technology and operating overheads were lower quarter-on-quarter. I'd like to walk you through the drivers behind our performance across our three business segments, starting with the digital platform. Digital platform GMV was $787 million, a reported decrease of 5% year-on-year, but growth of 3% on a constant currency basis. GMV from the Farfetch marketplace, which represents the lion's share of digital platform GMV, declined year-on-year -year across EMEA, largely due to the stronger US dollar and closure of Russia. GMV also declined year-on-year -year in Asia-Pacific due to the stronger US dollar and ongoing COVID restrictions in China. And GMV was flat year-on-year -year in the Americas, with GMV in the US down, the impact of a deliberate decision to reduce demand generation spend by 20% year-on-year to focus on higher margin profitability from this key market. Despite these headline figures, I'm pleased to report underlying order growth of 13% ex-Russia and 9% year-on-year growth in active consumers. Active consumers increased quarter-on-quarter -quarter with gross ads up over 500,000, 
offset by circa 100,000 fewer active consumers due to the Russia market closure. In parallel, we have achieved significant efficiencies in our customer acquisition costs, which were down 18% year-on-year. Supply remains equally as strong, with both brands and boutiques continuing to increase overall stock value on the marketplace, which was up 25% year-on-year at quarter-end to a record $5.5 billion. I'd also highlight that average order value is circa 10% lower year-on-year at $530, which is predominantly due to foreign currency translation to US dollars. Third-party take rate was 32.6%, 250 basis points higher year-on-year, the highest as a public company. This increase is attributable to our recent efforts to negotiate higher commissions, particularly from brand direct partners, and continued growth in revenue of our high-margin media solutions product. First-party GMV grew 4% year-on-year to $139 million and represented 20% of digital platform GMV. Q3 2022 digital platform order contribution margin was 32.4%, an increase of 580 basis points year-on-year. This increase was achieved by, first, strong third-party gross margin of 70%, up 720 basis points year-on-year, which has predominantly been driven by efficiencies in our shipping duties and returns costs. Secondly, we achieved efficiencies in demand generation expense, with a 400 basis points reduction year-on-year to 19% of digital platform services revenue this Q3, the lowest level in five quarters. This improvement reflects initiatives to lower customer acquisition and engagement costs, including a reallocation of spend towards lower-cost markets, more profitable transactions, and the annualisation of the impacts of IDFA restrictions. These positive impacts were partially offset by clearance activity within our first-party business, producing lower gross margins year-on-year as a result. Moving to the brand platform, where we saw GMV of $148 million, a decrease of 10% year-on-year, but an increase of 5% on a constant currency basis. Brand platform revenue decreased 2% to $162 million, the difference between GMV and revenue being an addition of revenue from our partnership with Reebok, which commenced in March 2022. The brand platform generated gross profit of $81 million at a 49.8% margin, an increase of 120 basis points year-on-year, which was driven by the additional net economic benefit from the Reebok partnership. Finally, in-store GMV grew 35% year-on-year to $32 million and achieved gross profit of $19 million at a 70% gross margin. In terms of our cost reduction initiatives, I'm pleased to report that we are starting to see that our efforts are taking effect. During the third quarter, these delivered savings across our operations platform, our retail network, marketing spend, and corporate people costs. 
Further cost-saving opportunities will crystallise as we embed the new leaner and simpler operating structure, and we expect to achieve operating cost leverage in 2023. Overall, adjusted EBITDA was minus $4 million. However, on a constant currency basis, adjusted EBITDA would have been circa $5 million. Loss after tax was $275 million after the following non-cash items. An increase in financing costs year-on-year due to unrealized FX losses. An increase in depreciation and amortization year-on-year as we started to amortize the Reebok Partnership Licensing Agreement in March, higher share-based payments due to 2022 equity grants, and an impairment charge on our Browns business as a result of impacts of the macro environment. Finally, we have taken measures to reinforce our liquidity position by issuing a $400 million five-year term loan instrument. This instrument can be repaid at par after 24 months, which provides valuable working capital over the near term. Note that as part of this transaction, we also settled the remaining $50 million of our February 2020 convertible instrument with Tencent, with whom we continue to have a strong relationship. I'd now like to cover our outlook for the rest of the year. Our updated expectations for the full year 2022 on a reported basis are digital platform GMV, of $3.4 billion to $3.5 billion, a decline of 5 to 7% year-on-year. Brand platform GMV will be broadly flat year-on-year. Digital platform order contribution margin in the range of 32 to 33%, ahead of 2021. Adjusted EBITDA margin of minus 3 to minus 5%, with a year-on-year impact from the FX translation of the brand platform operating entity. And cash on hand of $750 million to $800 million as of December 31st, 2022. Once again, the stronger US dollar year-on-year has a significant impact on our expected reported figures. This view also reflects a deliberate decision to step away from what we believe will be a heightened promotional environment across key markets during Q4. This decision follows our previously stated strategy to drive a higher full price mix and maintain order contribution margin above 30% at the expense of GMV growth. Despite this, our actions to deliver operating cost efficiencies as well as our focus on short-term growth prospects remain in place, meaning we expect to see a return to GMV growth in 2023. This growth will accelerate as we progress throughout the year. In addition, we expect to achieve low single-digit adjusted EBITDA margins and positive free cash flow in 2023. We will provide the building blocks of this guidance, as well as medium-term expectations for each of our three platforms, marketplaces, FPS and brand platform, on December 1st at our inaugural Capital Markets Day. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Jose for some closing remarks. Thank you, Elliot. I am very pleased we are successfully navigating an unprecedented macro environment in 2022 with the following strategic responses. One, seizing this opportunity to redesign the entire Farfetch organization 
creating stronger accountability around our three pillars, marketplaces, platform solutions, and brand platform, and furthering our enterprise readiness. Two, capitalizing on this reorganization to fundamentally transform the way we allocate headcount and restructure our fixed cost base. Three, exit 2022 with a much more efficient business and SG&A structure, whilst four, continuing to build on our mission to become the global platform for luxury, which remains intact and in fact reinforced as a tremendous opportunity. And five, demonstrating the scalability of our platform by reallocating headcount and investments to deliver on strategic initiatives such as Reebok, Neiman Marcus Group, Ferragamo, and Richemont Wine App, which we expect to complete in 2023 after regulatory approvals have been received. I am extremely confident that these ongoing measures will make Farfetch emerge in 2023 as an even more powerful, efficient, and profitable business, which continues to lead the online luxury industry and on a mission to become its preeminent global platform. And with that, I'd like to open up for your questions. Thank you. We will now move into our Q&A session. For those of you who are joining us via Zoom, if you would like to ask a question at this time, please raise your hand by clicking the raise hand button under reactions at the bottom of your Zoom window. Once called upon, please unmute your audio to ask your question. Please be mindful that only one question per analyst will be allowed. Thank you. To start, we would like to take our first question. Our first question is from Will Gardner from Wells Fargo. Please unmute your audio and ask your question. Good afternoon, guys. Um, just, just a couple for me. We're, you know, there's a bunch of macro headwinds impacting the business currently. Maybe you could just frame out how the underlying business is performing now. And, and, and you know, you gave some breadcrumbs for 2023. Maybe just discuss the underlying business um, heading into 2023 as well. Thanks. Hi, this is um, Jose. I'll, I'll take that uh, question. Um, I think, you know, first of all, um, it's really important to um, take a step back here. And, and these have been uh, very um, volatile three years uh, with several world events, um, COVID, the war in Ukraine, um, uh, you know, strength of the dollar, inflation, etc., and um, and we have been navigating these these very volatile times um, very successfully. We we broadly doubled uh, the business in in the last three years, both in terms of GMV and in terms of revenue. Um, this is significant significantly higher <clears throat> than um, our peers, um, be it you know online luxury or or even um, our, our luxury brands. Um, so the comps are different. I, I just want to uh, to highlight that. And um, and there were uh, a few uncontrollables this year. Um, Russia, the stoppage in Russia, uh, China, COVID restrictive uh, policies, um, and FX, to name the, the three uh, most powerful 
uh, macro uh, factors impacting our our performance. Um, <clears throat> I, the underlying business to to your question um, is still growing. So if we exclude Russia, even if you leave all the other macro factors, China effects, just excluding Russia, uh, we will grow this year. Um, and and we have, if you look at the underlying business, we have. Uh, very strong data points here. So we've added last quarter another 500,000 customers so we can continue to add new customers to the platform with lower um, demand generation costs. We, in terms of orders, as Elliot pointed out, um, excluding Russia, orders went up 13% last quarter. And this is a good metric because obviously you, with orders you would abstract the impact of um, effects on the average order value. Um, and our most valuable customers, our private clients, we keep um, above 90% in terms of retention, uh, $1,100 um, average order value. Um, that's including the, the FX impact. Without the FX impact, it would be even higher. So very, very solid um, underlying business in spite of um, you know, the, the, the general macro environment, which is adverse. And, uh, and then on the controllables, we're absolutely taking every action um, that uh, we feel needs to be taken here. Um, we're taking this, uh, this year of macro volatility as an opportunity to reorganize the company. <clears throat> we've outlined that in May and then in more detail in August. We've done a complete uh, reorganization and redesign of the of the Farfetch leadership and of the Farfetch company, and that allowed us to unveil strategic opportunities to um, shrink costs, uh, prune initiatives, uh, rebalance headcount, reducing headcount um, in certain areas of the business, um, and allowing us to rebalance that headcount to the new initiatives that we've signed that that we're going to launch in 2023 and 2024. Um, you already see that in the HGN line, which um, is shrinking quarter on quarter. This is ongoing, so you will continue to see the results of this cost discipline. The other controllable is um, our strategy in terms of uh, full price, and we are uh, absolutely continuing to focus on um, our higher quality customers and higher quality sales. Uh, we've reduced the demand generation spend. Um, we've increased margins. We have the highest stake rate on record since we're a public company. Um, the highest um, other contribution margin in the last five quarters, 580 basis points um, year on year. So this was a deliberate action to protect our uh, margin profitability. And all of this really sets us, uh, sets us up uh, very well for 2023. Um, we believe that we need to have our eyes firmly, <clears throat> firmly on our North Star. Um, the, the huge opportunity of building the global platform for luxury remains intact. Uh, we have key initiatives that um, underpin our 2023 growth plans. Uh, to your question, in 2023, we expect to be back uh, to growth. Um, that's driven by the continuing strength of the car business. As we lapse these macro factors, Russia is a mathematical equation. We, we will lapse it by, by March next year. China, it's improving quarter on quarter. Of course, 
we don't know exactly how the situation will pan out, uh, but it's, it's in double-digit uh, decline this year. Again, from Q2 to Q3, we already saw an improvement. Um, even if it goes into flat territory next year, it would be a tailwind. Uh, but we need to have moderate expectations there, of course. Uh, but we will um, eventually lapse that, that China impact as well. And effects, obviously, the dollar is at historical levels, and we're, we're forecasting. We, we do our budgets, obviously, on a constant effects basis into 2023. Um, so we believe that we will have, um, uh, you know, positive impact from this lapsing of the macro factors. And the core business, where we have strong data points um, exit in 2022. And of course, we have these new signed deals. These are not castles in the air. These are signed deals that we're on track to deliver. Uh, Ferragamo, Reebok in the first half, Neiman Marcus Group in the second half, um, and obviously pending regulatory approval, completing the Richemont and YNAP deal, and prepared and on track to deliver on those as well. And with all of that and the cost rationalization that we're, we're doing this year, uh, we are very, very confident that we will go back to EBITDA profitability, which we achieved last year. And you can see by looking at 2020, where we had positive cash flow in this business, when we normalize 1P, and we will normalize 1P in 2023, and when 3P grows, this business generates cash. And this has been the case historically, and we think very, very confident that we will go back to that cash uh, positive scenario. And look, we're well funded to go through this macro volatility. We will end the year with $800 million in the bank um, and um, with a very energized team and a new org to go after all these um, opportunities. Um, and that's, uh, it's on that basis that we are very confident about 2023 um, ahead of us. Thank you. <clears throat> Our next question will be Doug Amnes from JP Morgan. Please unmute your audio and ask your question. Great. Thanks so much for taking the questions. Um, I guess just first thinking about uh, digital platform order contribution up sequentially and then, and then up about 500 basis points year over year. Can you just talk about the potential to get further efficiency gains on your marketing spending and, and customer acquisition costs and uh, further gains as well on, on take rate due to media solutions. And then, um, secondly, uh, just on China, any expectations kind of for what that will look like as things hopefully open up more? And has this period given you more, more time to strengthen the offering in the TLP, uh, platform? Thanks. Hey, Doug, Elliot here. Uh, good speaking with you. Um, Look, I, I think as I've spoken to investors uh, a number of times, you know, we see significant opportunities we move forward on order contribution. Uh, you know, there's broadly sort of five levers if, you know, to see the, the order contribution expand. You touched on two uh, very big levers, obviously, improving our media solutions income. Again, a record level of revenue this quarter, but still running uh, below 1% of overall GMV. And, you know, we benchmark ourselves to, to other marketplaces that uh, sit at sort of more, you know, 4 or 5% of, of their own GMV. So we see significant ups, upside there. We've got uh, plans and, and very strong relationships with the brands across the industry, uh, 
clearly the, the sort of stock level is up as, as well to 5.5 billion. Uh, the relationships are strong and, and with record meter income, they see our 3.9 million active consumers is very uh, desirable to be in front of and we would continue to see that grow. Uh, that falls through to order contribution with significantly high levels of margin um, and will you know, take us towards our, our longer term targets of uh, 60% over the long term because it's higher than that in terms of uh, accretive to order contribution. And demand generation, again, great savings year on year. Uh, you know, the team has done a fantastic job uh, to spot areas of opportunity uh, to drive efficiencies. Uh, we were um, down 20% in terms of spend in uh, the US uh, and the GMV impact on that was significantly uh, less than that. So we were able to drive improving margin in that market and focus on really the, the high-end customer. Uh, we, we've seen great retention at the top end of the customer base. The private client uh, is up at 90%, over 90% retention. Uh, good AOV within that uh, group as well when you sort of, um, obviously in the US you don't need to adjust for, for, for currency, but more broadly when you adjust for currency, the, the, the spending is, is strong in, in that client base. And others that we target uh, online, whether that's our access customers at gold, platinum, silver, seeing good efficiencies from that higher LTV customer bracket, which we're very, very focused on. And um, you know, when you do remove your demand generation spend, as we have done year on year, by bringing it down to the lowest level in, in five quarters at 19% of, of our revenues, you're, you're effectively removing that sort of marginal incremental customer that isn't that valuable. And um, you know, we're seeing lots of promotions uh, come into the next quarter. We're not going to uh, uh, participate in, in that high level of uh, promotional activity. Again, that will mean um, you know, GMV will be weaker uh, than previously planned, but we'd rather not invest in um, those customers and, and, and see our margin decrease. You know, the plan is to hold our order contribution margins well above 30% um, in the quarter ahead. The other levers, just to touch on, Obviously, the first-party business, again, very heavy in clearance activity at the moment, so low levels of gross margin in the 20% range. Uh, that's not where we want to be long-term. We would expect to be able to return that gross margin up to industry levels of 35 to 40% gross margin uh, as we clear through this excess inventory. This inventory came about because of the slowdown in, in sales in, in Russia and in China, which were unexpected. Uh, we have to clear through that, that stock over these, these seasons, but then we'd see that uh, margin improve. Then as we move forward, and we'll touch on this a bit more at the Capital Markets Day on December 1st, you know, the plan is to move uh, away from first-party um, stock and, and sales and more towards third-party uh, driving our GMV growth moving forward. Uh, the GMV on third-party, uh, the gross margin, I should say, on that was – uh, 70% this quarter, very, very strong, up 700 basis points year on year, uh, thanks to shipping efficiencies. So, you know, a double whammy there of uh, improving order contribution margin, shift away from first party to higher gross margin third party business, and through the efficiencies the fulfillment team are delivering on our shipping model with uh, improving relationships with a broader mix of carriers, with more localized supply, routing returns, to consolidation centers where we can deliver more efficiency in terms of unpacking or helping to drive savings in our returns and our outbound shipping and our duties, which were down 700 basis points as a percentage of digital platform revenue this quarter. Then I'll touch on FPS. 
Again, a big feature of the Capital Markets Day, uh, where we will be breaking out the uh, economics of FPS for our investors to see. As we add incremental GMV uh, of this uh, part of the platform, we see very accretive order contribution margins flowing through, and we'll expand order contribution margins uh, over the near to longer, uh, the medium to longer term. Uh, and then, lastly, of course, uh, underlying commissions. You've seen our underlying commissions improve again. Uh, to, to help boost the take rate up to 32.6%. That's with renegotiations on brand partners. Uh, we're bringing up the, the lower level take rates and commissions uh, to, to help the overall blended mix. So lots of opportunities to continue to see that number move over uh, the near term. On China, maybe, Jose. Yes, I'll take the China question. Um, look, I, I, I think China is an amazing opportunity. Um, it's second largest luxury goods market in, in the world, uh, around 30% of the luxury industry um, is expected to be as much as half in years to come. Uh, here we have a tremendous opportunity as we have a very unique competitive advantage. We're, we're really the only Western player um, that has invested uh, many years and, and has a fully localized uh, presence in the market, local apps driving the majority of our business there, um, an incredible team on the ground, incredible consumer proposition, both cross-border um, and domestic, um, and, and that's very unique in the Western landscape. And then a partnership with the other game in town, which is um, Alibaba's Luxury Pavilion, so really the two platforms that are driving um, the online luxury story in China. Um, very happy with the, with the Luxury Pavilion. Um, it's growing ahead of our marketplace. Um, and, um, uh, you know, hitting the, the milestones and the goals that we had set with, uh, with Alibaba and Richemont when we did the joint venture. And um, overall, we're very bullish about the long term. Um, we think this is uh, current, you know, situation, consumer sentiment is temporary. Uh, we're vigilant um, on the situation and, and monitoring. Uh, but this is not a reason to retreat at all from that market. Uh, we, we're, we will continue to invest in, a, in an incredibly localized um, experience for our customers and uh, capitalize on our unique competitive position in that market. Our next question is from Lauren Schenk from Morgan Stanley. Please unmute your audio and ask your question. Great, thanks. I wanted to ask about the, the reorganization and expense discipline. When do you expect the full effects of that to be seen? And is there any quantification around the gross savings that you're expecting there? Um, and then are there any sort of further actions that you think can be taken or are all the changes sort of behind us and now it's just about them flowing through the P&L? Thank you. Hey, Lauren. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, as Jose said earlier on, we've done a top to bottom review of uh, the overall structure of, of the business. And, uh, you know, the first output of that is, is effectively the new reporting structure, the new ownership of the various uh, aspects of the platform. So we have clear ownership over uh, FPS, um, the marketplaces, and the brand platform. And then in terms of the supporting platforms to deliver against those uh, profitable uh, and growing units, um, we um, have arranged ourselves around the operations, the technology, and our, and our business services, all, again, with clear ownerships. 
And what that's delivered is significant uh, opportunities for, for cost savings, uh, particularly around streamlining uh, those, those various uh, aspects of the business um, globally. Some of those are already in there. You've seen a, a decline in terms of spend a quarter on quarter of $8 million. Uh, the rest continue to flow through over the uh, next few quarters as we work through the sort of continued changes across uh, the business um, and aligning ourselves around those, those structures. I think what's important is if you look at our numbers, we are driving a leverage in some areas of the business again this quarter. And as we move into next year, we'll be driving leverage across uh, all areas of our spend uh, through 2023. So if you look at technology year on year for Q3, including the capitalized element, only up 1.6% in terms of spend driving operating leverage. Platform operations, spend was down quarter on quarter, uh, driving operating leverage year on year. Our brand spend came down year on year, um, sorry, came down quarter on quarter, and again, driving operating leverage year on year. Our spend on warehousing because of the efficiencies driven um, from the logistics team down quarter on quarter and driving leverage year on year. And of course, um, I touched on our, our customer acquisition spend down 18% year on year, driving significant operating leverage and um, demand generation savings, driving order contribution up uh, there as well. So we're seeing the effects come through. Um, th there will be more to flow through. There are actions that are ongoing to see that flow through and savings uh, step up as we move through the next few quarters. I don't want to quantify that exact number because we are using some of those savings to reinvest uh, where we're seeing near-term growth. Clearly, the partnership with Reebok has started off well, uh, and we will start to see trade from that relationship across Q2 uh, next year. And we're also uh, obviously focused very heavily on uh, the fantastic new clients that FPS will be uh, going live with starting uh, across H1 and into H2 next year as well. So there is some reinvestment of the savings. There is, um, but there is leverage coming through now and uh, very pleasing to see. Thank you. Our next question is from Abhinav Sinha from Societe Generale. Please unmute your audio and ask your question. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, any comment on the current trading, please? How you are seeing in terms of the customers, the categories and geographies? Thanks. Hi, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Um, so as we sort of said earlier on, you know, the, um, the three sort of main geographical uh, groupings that we present uh, to investors is uh, Europe, Middle East uh, and Africa. Uh, that was in decline year on year, largely due to the translation from U.S. dollars and, of course, the closure of the Russian market. Important to note and remind everyone that Russia was about 7% of GMV on the marketplace uh, for 2021, so a significant uh, removal of GMV uh, across 2022. We'll annualize that uh, negative uh, headwind in uh, the back end of Q1, so you know from um, from sort of March onwards, we'll, we will be be like for like again across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Um, on Asia Pacific, uh, China actually is the main sort of driving factor there in terms of decline year on year. Again, this is due to the ongoing uh, restrictions around uh, COVID. 
We're seeing slightly better results, though, as in the year-on-year decline um, was uh, less severe in Q3 than it was in Q2. So um, that's promising in terms of uh, green shoots of, of growth, the demand clearly there. And when um, our business model of, of cross-border packages uh, frees up in terms of, of trade, we would expect to see a, a good level of pickup, as Jose touched on earlier around China being a significant market opportunity for us um, in, in the near term. In the Americas, uh, what we're seeing overall, the uh, grouping is, is flat, broadly flat year on year. Um, it's being brought down a little bit by the U.S., our number one market. What we started to see across Q3 was a heightened level of uh, promotional activity from the competitive set. Um, I would note a number of other uh, players in the space have had their gross margins impacted. They've been reporting negative gross margins. Not far-fetched, our gross margins up significantly year on year because we're not uh, following this um, heavy promotional activity. What we're seeing and would expect now is that Q4 is going to get worse. There's uh, lots of stock out there um, at the moment in terms of inventory of, of product, and um, you know that only has to be cleared across the next quarter. We would expect that to be promotions. Farfetch won't be following um, those promotions. We'll be maintaining of um, value of, of margin and, and, and customer value, and that will come at the expense of GMV in the U.S. across uh, the quarter ahead. That's a deliberate decision uh, to maintain a focus on full price for our, our participants on the platform and drive our own margins. The other thing we're seeing is very high media inflation year on year, so there's significant growth in costs. Again, because of the competitive environment, uh, we've, again, successfully navigated that with uh, an 18% reduction year-on-year year in custom acquisition costs. That's led to this demand generation reduction year-on-year year of uh, 17%, which is driving the order contribution margin up by 580 basis points, as well as, obviously, the strength of the third-party gross margins, as I touched on before. So, you know, we're navigating lots of moving parts out there, a global business uh, there's lot to, lots to deal with, but, you know, Farfetch, I think, is fearing up better than most. I think the key number here, why I say that, is uh, the constant currency revenue growth of 14% year-on-year. Uh, that matches very well with other players in the space who, of course, get the benefit of uh, reporting in euros with a stronger dollar. Uh, so their reported numbers obviously inflated versus underlying numbers, whereas ours are impacted. So overall, we're doing well. And again, as Jose touched on before, on a three-year basis, pre-pandemic to now, basically doubled the business um, and accelerating the growth of that because of a strong Q3 in the last couple of years. So we're, we're doing very, very well to navigate the, uh, the moving um, tides here um, across the industry. Thank you. Clear. Our next question is from Kanal Manduka from UBS. Please unmute your audio and ask your question. Hi, thank you for taking my questions. Uh, one on, on the accounting part, especially in terms of the cost reduction, when I add the, the, the GNA expense and the stock-based comp expense, I don't see a downward trend on a QAQ basis. So I must be missing something. Uh, that's one. And then the second thing is on FPS timing. And Jose, you mentioned uh, FPS, uh, especially Neiman Marcus, expect in the second half. So that would mean a transition time of 
close to maybe a year after the deal was signed uh, or after the deal was completed. When we think of YNAB, how long do you think that transition time could, could take? Thank you. Hi, um, I'll take the first one. Good speaking with you, Kuna. The share-based comp is the reason why you're not seeing um, the savings quarter on quarter when you add the two together. Share-based comp is obviously something we've spoken about with investors uh, quite a bit over the year to date. We, like most other um, technology players in the industry, have seen uh, a volatile uh, stock price, and um, that has meant that we've had to increase uh, the uh, number of units that we're issuing to our uh, key talent in terms of their contributor grants for 2022 because of the lower lower share price. The volatility also in terms of uh, how those options are valued uh, means that there's a year-on-year increase in terms of the IFRS charge for that uh, share-based uh, compensation. Uh, that's obviously non-cash. And um, the dilution effect of those shares, well understood by investors in terms of my conversations with them, and are very comparable with others in the market, as I said, other tech companies facing the same issues around uh, share price reduction. The burn overall um, is, uh, is below 10%. Uh, last couple of years, it's been circa 5% in line with our target, and we would expect our uh, share-based um, burn in terms of, of uh, issued shares to get back down towards 5% and lower over the, the near term, as most other players are as well. But in terms of uh, adjusted EBITDA, the key focus of what is happening underlying in the business, i.e. the costs that we can control, that is where quarter on quarter we've seen these savings of, of $8 million. Again, as I said, uh, widespread changes across the organization to drive efficiencies um, clear accountability of, of the deliverable results as we move into 2023, and uh, leverage year-on-year year across key platforms within the organization. Thanks, Elliot. And maybe on the, on the timing for FBS. Yeah, uh, I'll, take, I'll take that, uh, that question. Thank you. Um, so uh, I think... You know, the timing for Neiman Marcus Group is compatible with um, the size of this client. I mean, we're talking about a multi-billion dollar company, uh, one of the largest players in luxury with a very sizable online operation um, and therefore complex operations, as, as you would imagine. Uh, so we think that the, the timeline um, is actually very, very good compared with um, similar enterprise offerings from other large SaaS enterprise-grade uh, companies. And we would expect that to be um, the case also with, uh, with YNAP. Um, we're engaging with regulators. As we said, we, uh, we would um, in several jurisdictions uh, upon announcement, and we will keep you pace in terms of uh, the timings. Thank you so much, Jose. You're welcome. Thank you. A polite reminder of one question per analyst. Thank you. Our next question is from Louise Singlehurst from Goldman Sachs. Please unmute your audio and ask your question. Hi. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I will stick to my one question diligently. Uh, if I could just ask you a question back on demand generation. Um, it was quite a big cut, I guess, year on year. And I, I realise there's obviously 
ways that you're finding uh, more efficiency um, in that cost line. But so what's the assurance that you can give us that there's no risk of cutting the cost and having that impact on the customer acquisition? I, I hear the points about um, you know, the retention. I think, Stephanie, you talked about the 90% retention across the private clients. But I guess how many customers go straight to the, the highest tiers? Is there not a risk of um, reducing the inflow of new customers at the entry at the entry level? Or does the data tell you something that it's actually obviously much more efficiently to, to, to miss out on some of that entry level um, base? Thank you. Um, hi, Louise. I'll, uh, I'll take some of that. So I think, um, look, taking, taking us back um, a couple of quarters and where we've discussed our strategy, we've always said, look, we have the capabilities, thanks to our investments in, um, in marketing tech, to really acquire a lot of customers, and we did over the COVID period. We really leaned in and acquired a lot of customers. That hasn't stopped. We continue to acquire those customers to the tune of 500,000. Uh, we retain you know, a solid number of those. But I think this is also a deliberate strategy to really lean into our most um, valuable customers and valuable uh, targets in terms of new customers. And we're starting to see that. We've seen it particularly in the U.S. You saw um, Elliot stated that our drop in media spend doesn't correlate to the exact drop in, in, um, in sales. So we're really seeing efficiencies there. So I think where we're really leaning in is our retention efforts. And we've been talking about retention um, and our efforts. It's just what we do, but we've really been leaning in to that over the last um, uh, a year or so, everything from increasing personalization, curation, driving sales from the app, where you really see uh, strong retention, and really focusing on those higher uh, cohorts. So speeding up, you talked about the move into higher cohorts, speeding them up our access um, levels, which we're doing, and then really focusing on that private client. Um, it's something that uh, the industry in general does, and we're doing. We have a very large private client business uh, to to work with. Um, in fact, our private client business is is actually as big a business as the entirety of some of our uh, competitors. So we really have uh, a, a huge base to work with, and we're doing now that um, you know live events are back. We're doing targeted events uh, with private clients. We talked about Art Basel. We've done in-store events. Um, we've really focused on particular markets in the U.S. Um, where we're seeing that, whether it was LA with our beauty launch um, or Miami, uh, Houston, Atlanta. So um, yes, I think. Uh, what you will see is a drop-off in the lower value, but with a real focus on the long-term value. And, and can I just ask, if, if we exclude bronze and silver, are you seeing the retention rates increasing above, I know the 90%, but we don't have a reference point in terms of historical levels. Is there anything that you can share with us, just numerically, on, on those retention rates? Yeah, so look, um, retention rates, um, given all of the macro factors, given the volatility, you know, we would love to see them higher. They're broadly, um, they're broadly flat, mostly, um, brought down by the lower, um, lower tiers, as you might expect. Again, we acquired a huge number of those, of those customers, but we're seeing some encouraging, uh, facts. So, um, you know, more items per basket from those lower tiers. That's a very good indicator of future loyalty and future repurchase. So even with those lower tiers, it's not that, you know, we're not focusing on them. We are driving that. But, of course, we're seeing better ROI uh, from our efforts on the higher tiers.
We have time for one more question. The final question will be from Stephen Jew from Credit Suisse. Please unmute your audio and ask your question. Okay, thank you so much. So uh, sorry to belabor the point on the demand generation costs here, but it does sound like the uh, CAC in uh, North America and maybe the U.S. Uh, has ratcheted higher and uh, higher, and you know very rarely does the cost of media ever come down. So, you know, should we be thinking about a slower pace of customer growth overall? And also, should we be thinking that the prevailing environment in the U.S. will spread to what may be currently your lower cost regions, as your competitors also look for those customers as well? Thanks. Hi, Stephen. Yeah, it's worth focusing on this. What we're seeing, obviously, is, is um, the media inflation is very high in the U.S. Uh, because of the competitive environment. Um, we are, though, being able to bring our customer acquisition spend, so the dollar per unit of customer acquired or per, per acquired customer is down uh, 18% year on year. So we've been able to drive efficiencies despite that media inflation by effectively expanding our mix of uh, channels. We're using a lot more social media and influencer and other channels to uh, move away from um, paid search or search engine marketing spend, and uh, that's helping us to alleviate some of this uh, increased um, inflation and, and bring down the actual absolute per order CAC, and obviously that's brought down overall um, demand generation spend in terms of overall dollars as well. So far, that's you know not impacted on new customer acquisition. You know, we had over 500,000 new customers in the quarter again. Uh, we're 9% up year on year in terms of active consumers, despite the fact that Russia is um, impacting us by about 100,000 customers in this quarter in terms of negative impact. So, you know, overall, we, we feel like we had the right balance in Q3, and uh, the team's doing a great job not to sort of chase uh, those sort of last marginal customers uh, that you know ultimately aren't going to deliver the, the lifetime value that that we want to to, to achieve from um, from the, the, the customer cohorts that we're acquiring. I think importantly we are seeing that drive, um, particularly given the gross margins are up and uh, the take rate is up. We're seeing this stronger uh, level of three month LTV uh, for um, for the customers that we're bringing in. Um, you know, quarter on quarter. So that, that, that's very good. And, and, and as I say, the CAC's down for Q3. So I would expect to see an improvement again on three-month LTV versus the first half. Um, whilst we're adding, you know, these customers, and as Stephanie touched on, you know, driving retention um, as good as we have, I think there's significant upside in retention. If you look at our numbers, and we will go through a bit more in terms of uh, cohort information on, on December 1st at the Capital Markets Day, significant upside there in terms of frequency of shop and um, being able to retain customers as we move forward. So I think we've got it right. You know, it's one of the highlights for me out of, of Q3. The bit about the U.S., clearly it's, um, it's, it's, it's very promotional going into Q4. Will it spread elsewhere? Look, I think there's a, maybe a slight chance um, that we see some um, highly competitive environment across Europe. Um, you know, I, I would probably reference other retailers that have said there's been this return to store. There's been this uh, wave of um, U.S. tourism into Europe uh, because of the strong dollar and the weak euro. Uh, maybe that will reverse as we move forward, and that could cause a little bit of promotion. 
but you know now I am um, really starting to uh, gaze deep into the crystal ball here. So you know hard to put numbers on it, but I think we just have to you know trade through. Clearly we've um, set up you know with these numbers uh, a Q4 that will be in decline year on year, but as we move into uh, 2023, the underlying numbers prove we'll be able to to grow. Um, as we move forward, the, the 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 FPS clients that will go live will add uh, that growth um, onto to the the underlying marketplace and and FPS like for like growth. We'll annualize some of these negative headwinds um, at some point through through the year. The US dollar strength too much into the future, but at some point will be less of a headwind, and we'll see the reported number really return to strong growth. Uh, and profitability back again next year um, as we as we trade through this this exciting you know opportunity ahead of us. So um, yeah, all eyes now on on what we can do to set ourselves up right for 2023, uh, and we look forward to taking you through the building blocks of that guidance um, on December 1st. And we also want to take you through a little bit more around medium term expectations of each of the platforms, FPS broken out from marketplaces broken out. Uh, from our first-party original brand platform business. So um, can't wait for that. I'm sure investors will be looking forward to that as well. I think on that, we'll probably say goodnight and um, look forward to speaking to you over the next couple of weeks. See you on the Capital Markets Day, everyone. Thank you.